podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 240, Pet Rescue Pilots with Julian Javor, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to the show about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Joining us today is Julian Javor, a pet welfare advocate and founder of Pet Rescue Pilots. Out of the belief that every pet should have a chance to know know a loving forever home. And we all believe that here at the Stuck Mike Avcast. But before we begin, a quick announcement from our sponsor. Do you want to pursue a career in aviation as a pilot, air traffic controller, mechanic, or dispatcher? Or do you just want to earn that commercial or instrument rating, but you need help paying for it? The Aerospace Scholarships Guide at AviationCareersPodcast.com has over $50 million in available scholarships. Many of these go unused because people don't apply for them. For just $10, you'll receive a full-year subscription to the guide, which is updated monthly. Every scholarship is personally verified to make sure it's accurate and still available. More information is at AviationCareersPodcast.com. Well, hey, Larry, thanks for that uh, message there. By the way, if you're interested in the scholarships guide, we have 64 new scholarships and six updates with that new section, Scholarships for Adults. And don't forget to use that coupon code, Pay It Forward, uh, through the generosity of many others. Uh, you can actually get a free scholarships guide. We uh, load those uh Oh, we put them up about the beginning of every month as far as the Pay It Forward coupons. And if you want to donate, just go uh, click on be, be a Patron of the podcast. For every $10 we raise, we give away one scholarships guide. As far as news and announcements, we have one new YouTube video that's up there. It's... Uh, your FA Medical and COVID-19 and Aviation Attorney Explains, and we have a couple of other uh, legal videos coming up next that you'll be really interested in. So check out our YouTube channel at the top there. Now entering cruise flight. Well, again, we have joining us today uh, Julian from uh, Pet Rescue Pilots, the founder and uh, somebody who truly loves aviation and truly loves pets and animals. Welcome to the podcast, Julian. Uh, thanks for having me, Carl. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. Yeah, this is awesome, man. I, I tell you, there are so many people out there that do this as far as flying, but also fly to help out pets, and uh, you're, you're combining two different passions in your life. Uh, but just curious, how did you get involved? I mean, how, how did you get into this and uh, get into flying? Well, uh, okay, so getting into flying, I guess I should start way back in the beginning, you know, as as a kid, I had two major passions, and that was aviation and animals. Uh, I guess you could include music in there too, uh, but really the two at hand right now are aviation and animals. Um, I had pets my whole life. I always loved uh, pets. I always connected really well with them, and I was absolutely obsessed with airplanes. My dad and I used to go every weekend to watch planes land at LAX. 
So uh, for me, you know, it was really only a matter of time before I got the chance to fly. And I'm just really lucky to have found a way to marry my two passions in this way. LAX, what a cool place to watch airplanes. Yeah, it used to be, you know, pre 9-11, we had a lot of amazing places to to go view and, and there was no issue. But since then, they've kind of blocked that that area off. Oh, yeah. And there, oh, there's that other really cool museum on the south side. If you get a chance, go check that out. Uh, just a big shout out to them there. Um, uh, as far as the flying pets, though, I know you love animals. Um, let's talk about that journey first as far as getting into animal rescue, because that uh, must have come first before the flying. You know, it's interesting. I had um, been involved in rescue before. I'd volunteered uh, with shelters and such, but it wasn't really until I started flying pets that I really dove deeply into uh, the world of rescue. I think it was actually kind of flying that led me there in a way, which was awesome. In our uh, Turbo, the flying dog, I wish I could have him on right now. He would bark right now yeah. and say, that's good for you. Uh, it's really neat, though, that that, I, uh, you know, most of the time you assume that the person has started, you know, pet rescue before this, and it's neat that the two were, were married. Um, but as far as flying pets in general, you know, one of the things, it's a mystery, honestly, to me. I have never done it before. Um, so as far as rescuing animals, there's a lot of folks that don't, actually marry the two airplanes and rescuing animals so as far as as that's concerned why do you feel that flying animals is a true game changer in the rescue environment well i think that that one is a relatively straightforward answer that a lot of people overlook and and don't seem to put the two together like you mentioned it's more pets over a greater distance and less time so, for example, um, we can get into the nitty-gritty of, of, of the details of what exactly my flying goals are with pets. But just to, to give you an example, uh, from Los Angeles to up to Portland, let's say, uh, and California, we have an overpopulation issue. So, for the sake of this story, let's talk about moving pets out of kill shelters into the hands of rescues where they don't euthanize as much. So, the drive, if the roads are passable up near Shasta, for example, is about 16 to 18 hours. And in a van, you can maybe fit 10, 12 pets. Um, for, for myself, I fit 20 to 40 pets, and I can get there in as little as three to three and a half hours. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference right there. Not only for, not only for the rescues, but for the pets themselves. So when we're talking rescue, just for someone that maybe not understanding what a rescue is, are we transporting from somebody's home to another home, or is it strictly from a shelter? Negative. It's it's from the shelters that we're focused on. I mean, a lot of this kind of there's different people in the rescue world that focus on different things. You know, some some pet rescue organizations are really focused on funding spay neuter. Some are really focused on education. Many of them are focused on saving dogs. And so what 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 we see and really at the root of all of this is that California is uh, always in the top two of highest euthanization rates in the United States. It's California and Texas. And we're talking between 300 and 500,000 pets per year are, are put to sleep in shelters in California. Wow. It's a massive, yeah, it's a, it's a massive, massive situation we've got here on our hands. That, you know, I'm sorry, I was a little shocked there when you said that. The, um, I did not expect those numbers to be that high. So I'm being really educated here. So how, you know, obviously this is definitely a game changer just for that and that you're connecting people from uh, this distance that is 
probably not tenable otherwise without an airplane, I would think. It's difficult. And not only that, it's expensive. The groups that do ground transportation uh, in large quantity, for example, people who have, you know, the 18 wheelers and the license to do that, uh, they might move 200 pets at a time, let's say. But they, uh, the rescues up in Oregon complained to me that they usually arrive, um, you know, they give a window of like six hours for their arrival. Usually it's some crazy time, like three in the morning. And, um, the, the conditions are not great. You know, these pets have been in the truck for 18 hours and they can't afford to take 200 pets out for a potty break. So it's just a mess. Uh, literally it's a mess. Gosh, uh, I, I could, I could just imagine that in my mind. So what you do taking the aircraft and bring those pets along, that must be challenging. I would think in certain ways. And we, I guess we all have to ask, you know, what, what do you do? Like if the pet has to go to the bathroom? Well, certainly, yeah, it's it's a non-trivial operation is the way I like to refer to it. It's not your standard Part 91 weekend getaway. But uh, <laughs> there's there's a couple of different considerations that are important when you've got the live animals on board. Is uh, you know, First of all, weight and balance is a consideration always, especially in a small, light aircraft. Um, although I like to think of mine as not so small and not so light, but wouldn't we all like to think of our plane as bigger than it really is? Uh, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I've got flying the powerful Cessna 414. <laughs> great so airplane. I love it. It's immensely reliable and we can get into that a little bit later if you'd like as well. But, uh, you know, loading is a consideration because uh, if you know the chancellor, you know that there's rear air stairs. So even if the aircraft is going to be balanced once the, the pets are loaded in, um, at the time of loading, we have sometimes up to 80 pounds going onto those air stairs, you know, on top of a human being and in the rear of the aircraft. So you obviously during the loading process have to be very cognizant of the balance. Um, if you know that aircraft, you know that it does start to shift uh, when it becomes tail heavy on the ground. So that's a major consideration, um, as well as, you know, we do a really good job of tethering and bungee cording and stacking and um, over two and a half years of doing this, I've gotten very uh, keen to, I have a keen awareness of what crates work better than others for stacking. So we haven't had any sort of mishaps, but that's of course a consideration. Um, as far as potty breaks go, there's not a lot of places to take the pets, but uh, we do advise our rescue partners not to give any food or water at least a few hours prior to the flight and taking them for a potty break immediately before, which they all do that. And I can actually count on one hand over the 60 plus flights that I've conducted and 500 plus pets, the the pets that have had accidents on board. 500 plus pets. That's, that's a real good number and, uh, and growing uh, rapidly. One of the things that I, I'm always curious about, and it's kind of easy to figure out from your Instagram account, by the way, we'll have a link in the show notes at the bottom uh, to your Instagram is the pets themselves. Do you ever get to interact with them? I do. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that everybody on Instagram has an opinion about uh, <laughs> a pet sitting in my lap while I'm flying. It's funny, you know, but that is the reason that I always have a flight volunteer with me. And typically that person is either an aviator or experienced with animals. That's kind of the criteria that I follow so that, um, you know, either they're helping me handle animals or they're able to fly the aircraft while I handle the animals. And I should include that if they're an aviator, they're appropriately rated for a multi-engine aircraft. So, um, yeah, I do get to interact with the pets and it's probably my favorite part of it. You know, usually it's about a 10 minute, um, kind of 
length of time that I have a pet in my lap, but usually we go back and we, we find a few that, that look like they're, they're calm and, and complacent and would like to be interacted with, <laughs> so to speak. As far as managing all that, um, you have to have, I would assume, some type of container for every pet to move them, or are they ever free in the aircraft? Uh, Walk us through that. I have had pets free in the aircraft. Um, That's typically been when I've had someone else sitting in the rear cabin that was able to restrain them, or they were tethered by some mechanism, let's say. But sometimes, for example... Uh, the crates are just too large to fit into the plane. So I might barricade um, an untethered or uncrated pet with other crates, etc. We've never really, uh, I mean, we've never had an incident at all with a, a pet being loose that became uh, a liability. It's always kind of accounted for. You know, a lot of us do um, these flights through the Young Eagles programs, et cetera, and sometimes we're up with uh, people with different challenges. I do a lot of work with Challenge Air. It's kind of similar to that where you sometimes want another a parent, a guardian, or something to come along with, with that person. It's just what you're doing is being responsible is really what I'm trying to say. Yeah, absolutely. Safety, risk management, all of that stuff is top of mind for me all the time. So this operation that you're doing is it's not very it's not typical of what most people are used to. You don't just show up at the airport, bring the pet out, put them on the aircraft. How do you tra- I'm assuming you go to some bigger airports. How do you go from, you know, the terminal or the FBO into the aircraft? Does it just walk right in? Yeah, you're you're 100% right. There's no gate agent there checking everybody in and uh, we don't have a manifest. I mean, I know what pets I'm taking, but you know, they're not getting their tickets scanned, that's for sure. Uh, there's a bit of a fluidity that's required when you do something like this as far as loading and such. Uh, I'm always supervising the loading process and usually either my volunteer or one of the rescues volunteers is helping me um, to get all the crates into the aircraft. I'm sure you've seen the pictures where the aircraft is just completely loaded with crates and we just have one aisle down to the exit. So um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tricky, tricky thing to do. In this organization though, you, there's a lot of folks, it seems from what I can see on your website that are, they're non flying that get involved in many different aspects, like social media. Uh, there's more than just flying the plane. Oh, absolutely. There is a lot that goes into it. So first of all, a lot of the pets that we fly, uh, they might be at a foster home because the rescues up north in the Pacific Northwest that have pulled them have partnered with a rescue down south that can find a foster so that they're able to pool the dogs, so to speak. Uh, Obviously, they're not fostered together, but I mean, they put together their group of passengers for us because we fly, um, you know, 20 plus at a time, typically. For, for cost efficiencies and also just because it makes sense to do that. So um, fosters play a huge role in that, uh, getting involved. And, and if you, you know, people sometimes have asked me, how can we help? I always point them in the direction of a rescue that they can foster for. And I usually end up flying that pet, you know, a couple weeks down the line. Um, yeah. And also, of course, raising awareness for pet rescue in general through social media. That's been our biggest fundraising platform uh, up to date so far, just because we're so new and uh, spreading the word to checking out our social media, sharing our posts and our profiles is huge. 
They can find all that at PetRescuePilots.org, uh, all the links to your social media and Instagram. Uh, you're also Pet Rescue Pilots on Instagram, too, so that's Correct. a great way to find out. Um, the, you know, one of the things I think is really cool is that you're actually make, you're making a big difference. You're actually moving uh you're moving animals and uh, pets to their homes, to the forever home. Um, you know, one of the things that I think people do ask is, how is it that, I mean, and I think you alluded to this, how do these people that are fosters and foster parents to these, these uh, you know, animals that are, and pets that are going to get a new home, how do they find out about you? I mean, in general, in that society, uh, since I'm not really plugged into it, um, do most of the foster uh, parents of these animals know about the ability to fly animals from point A to B, or do they all know about just the ground transportation? If they're fostering for a rescue that's one of my rescue partners, then they know that they're fostering a pet that's going to be flying, typically. Okay. That's the simple answer to that question. Right. Okay. So it's not, because it's something I think th there's, like when I'm walking around talking to people, it seems like a lot of people don't realize that you use aircraft to move uh, pets for pet rescue. And I, I said, boy, there's so, there's so many ways to move them around and bring them to their new uh, forever home. Um, and that's really goes back to that. We already talked about that as far as, you know, why do we do this by air and convincing the foster, uh, you know, parents of these to, to, you know, bring them over by air because it's so quick and you can get it so far. Uh, one of the most common questions I actually get is why can't they just find a home for the pet down in California? Mm -hmm. And my answer to that without trying to be trite or rude is if it was that easy to do that, then why are we euthanizing half a million per year? Yeah. That's a, a great answer to that. I mean, you, I, it's kind of shocking to me. I, I did not realize those numbers. Uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, having being somebody on the other end right now, I you know recently lost one of my cats, and we're uh, looking to you know find a rescue animal. It really is. Uh, it's tough when you realize that. You know, you're just like, gosh, you know, I cannot believe here. Uh, you, you know, we're on the opposite end trying to rescue and they're going to euthanize, you know, we got to put, put the two together. So getting advocacy is so important here and getting the message out there. Um, another thing too, by the way, and, and I, I don't make it like to make it just about the current times, but I, I guess we should talk about this because this can happen again in the future is we have this COVID-19 going on. And I think a lot of people feel that they can't uh, rescue an animal during this whole COVID-19, but I think that's not true. Uh, what is your answer to that? Can I rescue an animal? Oh, absolutely you can. Uh, actually, Pet Rescue Pilots and through our rescue partners has put have put a number of individuals who have tried to foster through shelters but been unable because the shelters are operating at a lower capacity. We've put them in touch with our rescue partners and they've been able to foster a dog almost immediately. And what's interesting, actually, and there, there will be a blog post about this on the website coming out, which the blog is pretty much all about my viewpoint, uh, the 30,000 foot view, if you will, on pet rescue, uh, which is also the service ceiling of my aircraft, coincidentally. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's, there have been a couple of shelters here that really suffer during the normal course of life. Uh, with overpopulation that have been emptied out by fosters and adopters. And I think that what we've learned is, of course, first of all, it's amazing that people have been stepping up at a time like this to still help the animals. But also, what have the animals done to do to help us? I mean, we're sitting here looking at quarantining and staying home for 30 to 45, 60 days, who knows how long. And the first thing we do is want to find a pet to spend that time with. It's pretty remarkable. And I think it speaks to what pets can do for us. 
Yeah, they do. They do bring a lot to our lives and, and they add to our lives tremendously. That's a big reason that I founded this organization, honestly, is to uh, kind of that's with regards to my education of, of middle school, high school and college students. Um, a big portion of that is kind of the ethical, logical view. We don't take the route of showing all these horrible images of mistreatment and dogs in shelters, etc. We want to empower people and we want to show them that you know, dogs exist in our life the way that they are because uh, they descended from the dire wolf. We domesticated them and we did so because they were companions to us. That was the agreement that we had. They would be companions and we would take care of them. Yeah. And, uh, and, and other animals too become companions. It's, you mentioned dogs, but you've actually rescued, I think, dogs, cats, and goats is that right uh, we we have flown a single goat yeah and i do want to get I, i'm open to flying more uh wildlife and agriculture i mean i wouldn't say agriculture because they're not livestock let's right. yeah. <laughs> let's take that back there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, i'm certainly open to flying different species of animals as well that need rescue um of course we do focus on dogs and cats because those are the first that come to mind when we talk about pets you know, one thing I always like to drive home when people ask me about uh, rescuing by air is I used to live on an island uh, in the Abacos in the Bahamas, and uh, the only way that we are able to really move animals is by air uh, to those places like in the U.S. And uh, a lot of times, uh, amazingly enough, people don't realize they're euthanized. Uh, primarily, uh, even in the islands there. So this is a great way to find a new home, and that's by air. It, it, it's a really amazing what you can do with an aircraft. But uh, speaking of the aircraft, if you don't mind, can we talk a little bit about the 414? I mean, that's a, that's yeah. a cool, cool airplane. First, uh, first of all, tell people a little bit about it that don't know much about the Cessna 414. Sometimes we, we confuse it with some of the other Cessnas that look like that. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that it's very easy to confuse the 414 with the 421, which is its sister aircraft, a big sister. The 421 uh, typically has more powerful engines and it has geared engines uh, where the 414 does not, but they are the same exact body actually after 1978. But the Cessna 414, also known as the Cessna Chancellor, was in a way the corporate business jet of the 70s and early 80s. It was how people got around before corporate travel really became a thing in the jet world. And um, so in that sense, it is a cabin class aircraft. It seats uh, between six and eight passengers. It has uh, 203 gallons of useful usable fuel and a range of, let's say, roughly 1,300, 1,400 nautical miles. And it's really, it looks pretty darn comfortable for those that are, are looking on the inside and seeing some of the pictures. Uh, gorgeous looking airplane, that's for sure. It, it is actually really pleasing to the eyes. I would agree with you. I'm not, uh, it might be a little bit biased in saying that, <laughs> but I do love looking at it. And speaking of comfort also, it's uh, got a heater, air conditioner. It's a pressurized aircraft, so we can travel um, up at altitude and, and reduce some of that drag. And um, you can sit in the back without headphones and actually have a, a normal yeah. level conversation. So, how do you compare it to the four? I've only fl flown the four twenty one. As far as the comparison there, you know, I actually have not flown a four twenty one. I've been a passenger once on a test flight uh, with somebody, um, not a, a maintenance test flight, but for some avionics. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, the only thing that I noticed that was different was, first of all, it can be a lot louder. Um, that's why they did the gearing for the engines. 
And um, it's, it's a little bit more finicky when it comes to power reductions. So as far as the actual flying of the 414, for those who are not familiar with uh, a super turbocharged piston engine like that, one of the challenges is planning the descent. So, um, you know, we, we have to worry a lot about shock cooling, especially when we're traveling up at the flight levels or at the high teens. You know, we're up in very cold air and uh, we usually cruise at about 30 inches of manifold pressure. And in order to be at the right speeds when we're entering the pattern, we got to get down to about 20. And we can't do that immediately. We can't just, uh, as you say, chop and drop as you probably do in the 321 or whatever uh, right. you fly out there. <laughs> And you're right. I mean, the, and actually in the old jet engines, you had to actually be a little bit, uh, you know, more astute as far as reducing the power. Nowadays, it's all fade. You don't have to worry about any of that right. stuff. Uh, but yeah, interesting. Interesting. I, I tell you, though, it's a cool aircraft. And like I said, we'll get some pictures out there. Um, it could be a, a bit of expensive to fly. So I'm sure there's some people out there. And obviously, we aren't attorneys or anything like that. But some of these folks that are flying, especially for the charities, there's a lot of rules involved, et cetera. Um, I'm sure you've had to navigate that to be able to, uh, like, be able to write off your expenses, et cetera. I know there's a lot of people out there that uh, are looking towards that. And first, we'd have to say, of course, I would talk to your attorney first and, and an aviation attorney, hopefully just to talk about if you're going to use your aircraft specifically for that. Um, how were you able to navigate that as far as being able to um, use the aircraft? So you actually bring up a really good point And I'd like to take this opportunity to say to all of your pilot uh, aviator listeners out there that at some point, speaking of navigating insurance and legal ramifications, um, pet rescue pilots does want to become uh, a, a platform where other pilots can actually fly through kind of our system. And I'd like to be able to provide them with a little bit more of a dispatching service than they might be used to otherwise, um, as well as perhaps even providing some reimbursement of costs, although we'll get to that because that's a very tricky situation. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, for, for people out there who are Part 91, you know, general aviation pilots, public benefit flying, whether it be angel flight or rescuing pets or anything that's flying on behalf of a 501c3, uh, non-passenger related, of course, um, all those expenses are tax deductible as charitable expenses without question. So you're loaning your aircraft or you're, you're actually giving your flight time to that organization, basically. And uh, I think that's great. Correct. Uh, so there's people that can do that. You're uh, mainly centric on the currently on the West Coast, but you do have some other partners that uh, are out there. Do you think you'll start expanding over the Rocky Mountains to the east at some point? I'm glad you asked that, actually, because I'm dying to. Um, obviously, with the coronavirus right now, we're still working on trying to get back up in the air, and I have a number of flights pending on the West Coast. But I can't tell you how many times I get requests from eastern Texas, Alabama, Georgia, all those states out there. That's another hot spot for homeless pets. And so I would like to get out there. It's a little bit tricky in the 414. It takes a while. Um, so I think that the way that I've wanted to do that thus far is – uh, you know, we do have a speaking program where I, I go into schools and speak. We haven't gotten started yet, but we were supposed to have our first engagement back in April, which was canceled due to Corona. Uh, what I'd like to do is set up a speaking tour out there and just go out there for a few weeks and do some rescuing in the East. Uh, yeah, we'd uh, more than love to have you out here. That's for sure in the in Florida. So at some point, love to have you come by and talk to us here in the Lakeland area, near in the Sun and Fun area. Um, but one of the important things I think about this whole process 
because we talk, we're talking legal, right? We have to talk a little bit about uh, political activism um, because nothing gets done unless uh, we go through the proper channels. And the laws that are in place are because uh, they were put in place by somebody, an organization, and uh, advocated by some politicians. What is it that you do to try to help with uh, political activism for our, our, our pet friends and our family that are pets? I'm glad you asked. Uh, we, when I founded Pet Rescue Pilots, it was on a three-pronged mission. Uh, one was, of course, transportation of pets by air. The second was to provide resources for pet guardians who might, you know, need uh, behavioral advice, nutrition advice, etc. And then finally, it was to educate um, and advocate. So. Um, with regards to political activism, we are staying super on the ball and always monitoring everything that comes out with regards to pets. And one of the biggest things that we face, the, the challenges that we face as a society in monitoring our pet population is, of course, spay-neuter participation. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> we are highly uh, in favor and we highlight and spotlight any sort of legislation that comes down with regards to regulating spay-neuter, making it more uh, compulsory, uh, and also, of course, monitoring backyard breeding that might be occurring. But there's other areas of policy that people often overlook as an issue, but being involved in the pet rescue world, I hear it all the time. You know, I always ask about how these pets got into the shelter. And what we see happening a lot is particularly in California, we have an issue with affordability of housing. And right now before 2028, uh, a lot of municipalities and cities have been required, mandated to build a large amount of affordable housing. But as we know, uh, landlords are oftentimes not pet friendly. So now people are being forced to choose between the pet that they've had and being able to afford, you know, the housing that they're in, which is uh, going to leave us with a homelessness situation. Again, maybe the people will not be homeless, but the pets will be. Well, you know, you don't realize certain ramifications of certain actions, uh, and especially like what you said with affordable housing. So I'm glad you brought that up. As a matter of fact, you have uh, quite a bit of experience now in that whole political realm because you actually do some some work in, uh, I think you were doing something politically or involved in local government. So you kind of know how the, the mechanisms of government, in other words. Yeah, <laughs> I have learned the bureaucracy through my involvement. I am on our uh, recreation commission, Parks and Recreation commission locally here. So I've gotten to deal with city councils a lot. I kind of understand how the planning department and how policy moves through municipalities and um, also have made a fair amount of good contacts at LA County through this. Yeah, as they say, you know how the sausage is made, and sometimes it's it's not so much fun. That's for sure. Exactly. And we're we're glad to have someone that's pet friendly inside there. That's so that's that's a good thing. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, I think we as pilots, a lot of times we want to do good and we want to help out. Uh, we'd like to get involved with them flying. And one of the things that I would love to do is take my airplane and, and just fly some people around and fly some animals around and, and rescue animals from shelters, et cetera. But it's more than just putting a pet in there and saying to the IRS, look, I, I did this and this is, uh, you know, how much I should be reimbursed. Uh, you do have some other things to take into consideration, don't you? And you're doing that if you're uh, charging or getting reimbursed somehow, uh, there's there's some fine there's a fine line there. Any advice to people that like myself that would like to do that to be able to uh, move animals from point A to point B? Absolutely. So I think that uh, for me, when I was flying just as an individual and not through an organization, 
uh, I was very, very careful to make sure that either on the receiving or the sending end, there was a 501c3. And for me, it's always been, you know, a, a partnership with organizations. I've never been the pilot that just says, hey, you know, my buddy wants to move his dog uh, across the Rockies and uh, was thinking it'd be easier if you flew him. Could you do that? You know, um, that's a very different story. And if you were to get money for that, that would definitely be considered compensation. Um, however, you know, we, we know about those non-common carriage, you know, commercial license kind of gray areas. So it's up to the pilot's uh, risk level and risk tolerance, whether they want to do that or not. But right. uh, I recommend flying for a 501c3, either on the receiving or sending end, if you'd like to get involved in pet rescue. And I also welcome anybody who would like to kind of dip their feet into that to reach out to me and ask for suggestions on what might make it easier, safer, and, and how they can go about getting involved. And to do that, they just go to the website PetRescuePilots.org uh, to find out more. As far as reaching out and also, uh, if nothing else, by the way, they really need to see your Instagram account. And, <laughs> and once they do that, they'll get involved. I mean, I think uh, that honestly, that's how I found you. I mean, I really, I was like, wow, this is cool. And, uh, and hats off, by the way, to the photographer, which who is your photographer, by the way? It's uh, usually myself. <laughs> <laughs> wow, great shots! I love I love the those shots that are just they're really real and it's really cool. You always have a, a pet next to you, et cetera, and uh, um, they're usually very happy and licking your face a lot of times. I do, yeah. I try to get those <laughs> shots as much as possible. You know, it's in the heat of the moment. It's hard sometimes, and you you take a lot of. I usually end up with about five hundred pictures on my phone after each trip, and maybe only eighty of them are worth anything but that's a pretty good good number to have anyways you know animals as far as uh pets that are the dogs in general it seems to me and i could be wrong that it's easier to transport them than to, to transport cats is that true i mean is there certain unique things about transporting cats because i know you've transported a few yeah so cats are perfectly fine to transport and in a lot of cases easier if they come in their crate and there's no transfer of crates required. As long as they are locked away, then you're fine. And and as a cat owner yourself uh, and a pet yeah. cat guardian, you should know that cats do love to explore. So uh, <laughs> as long as we're yeah. not having to handle them in my arms, although my most recent Instagram post you may have seen is me holding uh, yeah. this amazingly gregarious and charming cat uh, who loved to be held, but that's a different story. Actually, one of my favorite Instagram posts that you have, and I, uh, people should check it out, there was one where there was a young lady in the back holding these really small little uh, kittens. And we had three-day-old bottle baby kittens who were orphaned that came in. And those, you know, it, for people who are wondering why it is what we do, why we do what we do, etc., I mean, that's a situation where a litter of orphaned kittens, you know, this this statistic comes to mind is an unspayed cat uh, mm -hmm. can produce, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of kittens in just a few years because of their ability to maintain pregnancies to term in such a short period of time and the amount of cats that can come out of a litter. And for that matter, an unspayed dog, female dog is able to produce 67,000 puppies in six years. So, um, wow. speaking of spay neuter, but yes, what happens with these fresh litters of kittens who are orphaned, they usually just get taken immediately to the back room and put to sleep. 
Wow. Wow. We don't want that happening. So spare new to your pet. But uh, as far as getting involved with PetRescuePilots.org, if somebody's interested, they've been listening to you, they're out there, you know, looking at your Facebook page or your Instagram account. Is there any way that they can help out? Say they don't want to get involved in flying. They think it's a really cool thing, but uh, they just they just want to help some way. How can they do that? So with, with our personal mission, of course, even a $5 donation goes a long way. Uh, we talk about Avgas. We know it's about $5 a gallon. So that's a huge help. And of course, spreading awareness about our cause and sharing it. But if they wanted to get involved in pet rescue themselves on the ground, one of the biggest forms of help, and we do have an infographic for this on the Pet Rescue Pilots page, fostering a pet is such a huge help because if you were to foster a pet from a rescue organization, that means that the foster pet is in safe hands and then the rescue has room to take another pet from the shelter, which is then in safe hands. And then the shelter has room to take another dog who now is in safe hands. So it's a trickle down effect and you are saving more than just the life that you're fostering. Every little bit counts. You know, my wife and I are going to do that. We're trying to foster a cat right now. And uh, and I encourage you to listen to Julian about this. It's uh, something that I think is really important to all of us. Uh, and they really, truly, as far as pets are concerned, add so much to our lives. And, and we don't realize it a lot of times until we actually have one. So if you are not a pet owner, I encourage you to, to check it out. And, uh, and it'll change your life. That's for sure. Absolutely. Julian, anything else as far as pet rescue pilots or that you want to mention before we uh, close up today? Is there anything that we, we may have forgotten or, or something you might want to say about the organization just to sum up uh, what it is you do and, and uh, again, how they can help? Well, yeah, I would just say, you know, I'm, I'm extremely grateful to have found this calling and to have found a way to marry two of my passions in this way. I, I feel that I'm incredibly lucky that I get to give back through flying and it's something that not everybody gets to say and do. I, I would love to be a part of helping young aviators out there who perhaps are not looking for a professional flying job, but would like to do something good with flying to reach out to me. I'm happy to um, give any advice that I can in getting involved in different options out there. And I would love it if people followed um, at Pet Rescue Pilots on Instagram that would be, and, and Facebook for that matter. I mean, our social media is really um, such a vital thing for us as a fundraising tool, not just from our followers, but also um, for corporate sponsors who know how many eyes we have on us. And when we were a are able to place their products with that many eyes in front of you know people that has value to them. So for corporate sponsorships, it's huge for us to have a following on social media. That's such a help. Yeah, I highly recommend it to everybody go out there on his Instagram page, PetRescuePilots.org. Uh, and, you know, this has been great, Julian. I, I really appreciate it. If anybody has questions, go to StuckMikeAvCast.com, hit the contact page, or also PetRescuePilots.org for any questions. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me, and I hope you'll join me on a rescue flight one day. Love to do it. Next time I'm out there in uh, California, I definitely will will jump in there. And, uh, you know, I really, I love the organization, PetRescuePilots.org. Uh, it, it is true. You know, every, every pet should have a chance to get to know a loving forever home. And I, I truly believe that. I know a lot of you out there uh, believe it also. So check that out. Check out that website. Any questions about it, of course, contact stuckmikeavcast.com and uh, we really you know would love you to help with this organization do a little research uh, go to the website in the show notes check out those links 
and we'll have all of them out there. This is Carl Valeri with the Stuck Mike Abcast. Safe flying out there. We'll talk to you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.